the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. To have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As believers, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as we walk the believer's journey. Aloha, and welcome again to The Believer's Journey. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. Um, I want to thank all your prayers and your sharing of our program. And I also want to um, encourage you, if you haven't subscribed or liked uh, our program or our videos, please subscribe to our videos. It makes it easier to get to. It helps me to remain on the top, and it's just really kind of nice. So I want to thank uh, all of our um, people who subscribe. sponsor us. I want to thank those who have given to us, and I just really appreciate every one of you who really plug into our ministry here. Today, we're going to do uh, Bible questions on the fly. This is number 17, and to join me today is my lovely wife, Susan Cutting. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Frozen in time. (laughs) Okay, so... Um, anyway, without any further ado, by the way, I need to say this is our uh, 23rd anniversary from the, our first date. Did you know that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 23 years ago today, we uh, had our first date. Of course, we got married five, six weeks later, but, you know, it's... <laughs> I guess it's stuck. <laughs> anyway, so let's go on with the questions. We have a lot of questions, and uh, let's go. Okay, the first question today is from Ethiopia, and the person asks, In my country, Christianity and Judaism are the most persecuted and attacked way of life. Is this true in other parts of the world? And if this is true, why? Yeah, that's a really difficult question because I don't know about every area of the world, but it seems like, especially Jews... In Ju- I don't know about Judaism itself, but its Jews are, are really persecuted. As Christians, it seems like Christians are really bashed, if that's a good word, bashed. Um, uh, there's a lot of persecution in, in Christianity in a lot of countries that have uh, Muslim or Islam uh, is predominant. Uh, you have or there's a lot of atheist uh, countries. You have both Judaism and um and Christianity are persecuted. Now, I know that in Ethiopia, you have a, an area that's pretty strong in Judaism, an area strong in Christianity, and you have a large part that uh, has Islam. Now, I do know that there's areas in Christianity, I'm sorry, in Ethiopia, that they mix okay, and there's some that they're, they're not, they're dangerous. And it's probably true in a lot of areas, especially your Muslim areas, um, I know that uh, recently I was uh, just did a seminar in Pakistan, um, and I'm going to try to get the pictures on our on our Facebook on the uh, Believers Journey page, Facebook. But I do know that uh, the Christians in Pakistan are severely persecuted. It's very dangerous 
there as well as maybe in China, not because of Islam, but because of other reasons. And um, but I don't know why it, it is really a um, I don't know very weird. It's I don't understand why, but I know that for several years, uh, generations, that both Christianity and uh, Judaism both have been persecuted all over the world. I mean, it's just really predominant. Um, I don't know if it's um, if it's just because of the idea that they have that one belief in one God. There's a lot of religions out there that believe in either several gods or they believe in a, a way of life where Christianity and Judaism both believe, you know, there's one God and you follow that one God. And so therefore there's a lot of standards that they live by because of their writing. Um, but that's the same way it is with Islam. It's just a matter of who do we hate, which is really a bad thing. And um, so I don't, I don't know if I have a real answer for that because I don't know why. Well, I have a few thoughts. Go ahead. <clears throat> I think, uh, well, historically, Judaism has been... Um, a problem with other cultures from the biblical times in the Old Testament and because they practice a way of life and belief that is different from where these other people were in different countries and where they lived and because of that you know they were persecuted and when Christianity came about they were disliked by the Jews as well as other groups so I think these other parts of the world view them as threats to what they believe in and to their culture and lots of times people dislike or hate what they don't know about and a lot of these areas where there is a persecution they don't understand the beliefs or know much about it. They just know it's different from what they've been taught. And most cultures believe that what they grow up learning is the correct way. And so when something's different, it causes division. So that's just my two cents. Well, you know, and also along with that, I think that you have, even in Christ Christian uh, circles, and I'm not. I'm going to say some of these people who follow this thinking are probably not true biblical Christians. But you know, a lot of times people go to the idea that you don't believe the way I do, so you're going to hell, or you don't believe the way I do, so I hate you, or God hates you. And it's almost, you know, it doesn't almost doesn't matter what you believe in. It's just like it's human kind does this to each other. Well, it's a fear of another group and how they might change things for you or where you live. And fear is also, you know, rooted in hate. Yeah. Well, I know that in Islam, you know, it's a, the whole um, pushing of the idea that Islam is the way to go and, and they need to convert people. And... Um, it gets to a point in the teaching that, you know, if they aren't going to convert, that basically they're infidels, and so basically they're enemies. Um, and that's the way a lot of Christians see people, too. 
You know, it's it's not just uh, Islam. I mean, Christian people in Christian circles treat people the same terrible way, and um, Jews, however, they they push for peace. I, I that I don't understand. The, the most Jews that I know, most I've read about, most even going on today in Israel, they they want, they've been pushing for peace for the most part. That's really what they want, and it's really what they try to do. Uh, so that. I have no idea, no no clue why they're persecuted. Well, it's biblically based, I think. Yeah. From the beginning, uh, Jewish people had targets on their backs, so yeah, um, it's nothing new. Uh, another question we have: This one, the person wrote, since Russia is at war with Ukraine. And with all the rumors of Europe, the USA, coupled with and untold others' revelations, I believe in the breaking of the seals of judgment that says there will be wars and rumors of wars just before or after Jesus returns for his church. So that's a multi-question. Right. There were a lot of questions <laughs> in that one question. So let's let's break down to the very core of this. First off, it doesn't say in Revelation, nor is one of the seals uh, say that there's going to be wars and rumor of rumors of wars. That's not in Revelation, and it's not one of the seals. It's not in the judgment. It's not at all a part of the seals or the trumpets or the bowls at all. That statement comes from Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 when he's explaining how. That he wants the people, he wants them, he's talking to his disciples, he wants them to watch for the end times, watch for the things that are going to happen, and starts telling them the things that are going to happen that are going to show us what the end times are going to look like. So this is not part of any prophecy of Revelation. However, it is a prophecy of Jesus in chapter 24. So in that respect... I don't think it would have anything to do with the tribulation. Now, that being said, Jesus does talk about the time of sorrow, the three and a half years of time of sorrow. And he does talk about the great tribulation, you know, which is the last three and a half years. So when we talk about what's happening with Russia and Ukraine, and we also talk about Israel and Palestine, you know, through history, we've had wars like this. And I don't know that it's any indication that it's part of the end times. Uh, just because it's just something that we've seen go on and on. I think what we want to recognize is when Jesus talks about wars and rumors of wars, I think it's going to be on a grander scale. Now, I think that this idea or the thing, what's going on is, and actually, this person has it right. Um, what's going on between Ukraine and Russia, as well as Israel and Palestine, you have multitude of countries, multitude of nations that have jumped in. They either jumped in by turning their, turning, hiding their eyes and showing and under the table, here's some money, here's some ammunition, here's whatever it is. And they don't really want to be involved, but they are involved. There's a lot of that. There are people who are involved uh, in, in part of the war itself. We know that Yemen, for example, in the Palestinian and Israel, Israeli war, you know, Yemen, there's been 
missiles shot and the United States is shooting them down. So we are obviously involved in one factor of this. But I don't know how we get mixed up in this. You, you need to look at your, your scripture. In Revelation chapter 6 starts off the, the, um, the seals. And the seal that's the first one, the white horse, is where I think people think that's where we have wars and rumors of wars. It doesn't say that. And when, I want to make that really clear. It doesn't say it. It doesn't imply it. What it says is that there's going to be a white horse and the rider is going to be, you know, on the white horse with a bow. And there's going to be peace taken from the world. Okay. So when we talk about this, we're, we're probably talking about somebody who's on this horse riding with a bow. We are talking about deception. So the, the horse is bringing a person who's bringing in the world. I shouldn't say a person, but bringing to the world a deception, deception of maybe the world going on, things in the world, maybe in the church itself, maybe altogether, both of them. So there's going to be a lot of deception going on. The second thing, taking peace from the world, isn't saying that it's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Taking peace from the world, it means there's going to be a lack of peace. So when you look at your city or your state or your country or your province or wherever you live and you see people hating each other because they disagree or people killing each other because they disagree with one another or they don't like the way the other looks or believes in that person or, or something and we start hitting hurting killing stealing those things that's a lack of peace and i'm watching this and i'm seeing this happen worldwide so for me personally when we talk about the tribulation um, I think that we've probably already entered into this. Personally, now I could be wrong, but I'm seeing a lack of peace worldwide. And I'm look, not just looking at this in Ukraine and Russia or Israel. I'm looking at this in you know Hong Kong and Moldova and Finland and United Kingdom, United States. You know, you just go all over. It's Egypt. It's everywhere. Almost every continent. You're seeing this kind of rioting and this, you know, plunging into hate. This is a lack of peace. So we need to get away from this idea that it's wars and rumors of wars is what's in Revelation because it's not. It's what Jesus talked about. Go to Revel go to Matthew chapter 24 and read what Jesus had to say. Okay. And you'll you compare that with chapter 6 in Revelation, and then you'll see the difference between the two. Okay. And my two cents on this one is, too, I think it's really hard to say something <clears throat> specifically is happening at this point in time just based on the historical um, conflicts and things throughout the world that have happened. So I think your suggestion, just reading Matthew, is really good. Yeah, and, and, and like you just said, you know, I think that's, that's correct. And mostly because most things are regional. Mm -hmm. But I think what we're talking about in, in uh, Revelation, and probably also when Jesus is talking, we're talking more global. I think that's, there's the difference. We're just more aware of what's going on now just because of the ability to use social media and satellites and getting our news in multiple ways, yeah. any 24 hours a day. So. Well, I find it pretty amazing that, you know, when the whole thing with Hamas and, and Israel is happening and um, the news is coming out with 
with false false news, false information, and you have people worldwide, people not not just what's happening, not people in Israel or in the Middle East, but people in the United States, people in the United Kingdom, people in France, people all over the world are reacting to the false media until finally we get out, here's the real truth. But people, I mean, five days ago, there was in San Francisco, there were scores of people took their cars on the Brooklyn Bridge, parked them so they blocked all the traffic, took their keys, threw them in the water and sat down and tied themselves up to be just to protest. And it blocked, I don't know how many thousands of cars from going across the bridge. It's just in San Francisco because of what's going on in Palestine. It doesn't make sense. But that's part of what I think is this false narrative, deception, and your lack of peace. Well, a lot of that false narrative that you're talking about is coming directly from Hamas. Oh, yeah. And nobody's fact-checking. Well, we have another question this time. It's from India. And the writer says, In India, many people have more than one god. I have many friends who are Hindu, and some include Jesus, Buddha, and Allah as one of their gods. Please tell me, how does this fit into the belief of your Bible in Christianity? Well, it doesn't. I mean, I could leave it at that, but it doesn't. It, um, the, the scriptures, and I'm, the Old Testament as well as your New Testament scriptures, there's only one God. And according to, to well, you know, according to Hinduism, there's really kind of Brahma, Brahma is the only real God. But people are bringing in these multiple gods. And I don't know if it's because they want comfort in certain areas. They want to be included. They don't want to be excluded. They're afraid of whatever the afterlife might be. I'm not sure. But it, it really shouldn't even fit into Hinduism. But it doesn't fit into Islam because they're all about one God. Allah. It's not about Judaism. It's not about Christianity. It's all, they're both all about one God only. And so to say that I'm Hindu and I have several gods and I'm using Jesus or Allah or Yahweh as my another God, that's blasphemous basically to the scriptures, to whether you're looking at the Quran or you're looking at the Old Testament or the New Testament itself. It just doesn't fit. Well, it's my understanding that uh, in the Hindu faith, they do consider that there is more than one God. They are not a monotheistic religion. Um, in fact, Lauren uh, was a nanny for a family that was Hindu, and one of the children asked, you know, how come you only worship one God? We have many gods. That's better. And the child didn't understand. And so being respectful of their family, you know, she just says, well, that's what our faith is, but you need to discuss that with your parents. I think from what I understand in Hinduism, I think there's two factions. One which is strictly one god, which is Brahman. The other um, might be of this other faction that where you can ex include multiple gods. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've studied yeah. Hinduism, so I don't remember the details. Yeah, and, and I think what I have looked at, um, I have not dealt in really 
deeply, but I do know there's two factions for sure. I don't know if there's more than that. And one is, one is a little more strict than the other. So I don't, I don't know. We should look that up. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have another question uh, from... Oh, let me say one more sure. thing. If you're in India or any country that... Because that, um, Indonesia also does some Hindu. Um, if you're looking at Christianity or Jesus as someone to follow, you need to understand you can only be him. You can't say, well, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm also going to follow Allah, and I'm also going to follow Brahman, and I'm also going to follow Buddha. I'm going to have all these gods or you know, worship as gods. You can't do that in Christianity. You can't do that in Judaism. You can't do that in Allah, I mean Islam, and think it's, it's okay because it's absolutely totally wrong. So if you're looking at to follow Jesus, if you're watching our programs, obviously that might be something you're doing, that if you're going to follow Jesus, you, he's the one and only Lord you follow. You can't have more than one. And, and, and otherwise, it's not really truly Christianity. Same thing with Judaism. It's not truly Judaism. Right. Well, along the same theme of Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, we have a reader or person from Turkey who asks why... Uh, do e- Islam, Judaism, and Christianity fight against each other when all three religions claim their father is Abraham? If this is true, are they not all related? Wow. Um, so, yeah, the, and, and in fact, Abraham is the father of, of every one of these three. Okay, so why they fight it's sin. I mean, you know, what else? It's sin. It's mankind in, in sinful nature with hate. I think that's, that's what I think it is. Um, I don't know if anybody in the world, would, any scholar would ever have a real understanding of why other than, you know, people are filled with sin and live in this in sin. And so to hate one another doesn't make any sense. If Abraham is truly the father of, uh, well, not just not just Islam, but it'd be the father of the uh, Arabs and be father of the Jews, because Abraham is, you know, father of Ishmael as well as father of Isaac, and Christianity is actually connected and in, in, um, born in out of and into Judaism. So Christianity, the correct name is actually Judeo-Christian. So we come from that line. And so you have both sons have one father. And the reason they fight, um, I know the, the scriptures say that there's going to be discourse between the two forever. But why, I don't know. I think it's back to, you know, we have a sinful nature and we deal with things that we don't like, don't agree with in a sinful way. Other than that, I don't know if there's any real good answer. I don't think there's any um, religious or relationship type answer or biblical answer. Mm-hmm. They just better sin. Okay. And let's see what other questions we have here. Um, I can say this while you're looking. Mm-hmm. Some of my best friends are Jews. I mean, I'm a Christian and I, I have a, 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 a a guy that I, I truly deeply love and um, and his son 
and family and they're Jews and I would go to them for the business that they do. I would go to them first before I would go to anybody else because I trust them and they're honest. So I don't I don't know why any other Christians would have a problem with Jews. Um, as far as it goes with Muslims, I don't have friends. I don't know people. I don't run in the circles. So I don't know people who are Muslim. But I uh, personally, I know, I know acquaintances, but I would have no problem with that. Well, I think the person asking the question is not asking about individual people and their... I understand. Relationship as far as though the different uh, beliefs opposing one another, I would say they don't hate each other per se in that that kind of sense. Like Christians believe, Jews just don't understand and accept Christ and when He came, and they're missing that information. Well. In the Middle East world, there I, I understand there's hatred. Yeah. You know, if you look at where we are in the United States, there's a whole different, you know, life with each other. We, we, we kind of mingle with each other. We do things with each other. There might be a difference uh, of lifestyle like that in certain parts of our country, maybe in Michigan. I don't know. But I know that in the Middle East, there's truly hatred. Well, yes. If you aren't part of their group, then you're an outcast. Yeah. But, you know, you and I have been to Israel, and we know that there are uh, Muslims that live there. In fact, there are Arabs who are part of the police department right. in Jerusalem. I mean, you know, as long as, as well as is, Israelis. They're, they work together, Jews and, and Arabs and Muslims. They just work together. So... It's a matter, do they want to live in peace? Do they want to share? Or do they want to hate and try to kill each other? Right. And so now I'm trying to find my place. Oh, here we go. Uh, this question is from Russia. Is mankind responsible for how long it is taking for the tribulation and second coming to occur? Um, um, yes and no. I know that I, I go, this is coming not from the United States, not from Russia. Yes, this is a question from Russia. <laughs> we have, I know somebody, we have somebody in a class I teach that, that thinks that we can draw out the longevity of our time before the tribulation can start, you know. Um, but in a, yes, in a way, but no, not really. Um, I believe that the whole idea in Scripture is that God wants His message to to travel to the ends of the earth. He wants all people to be saved. He wants all people to have that chance to grab a hold and become part of you know His Son Jesus to be, you know, a Christian. And I think as the judgment comes, which is the tribulation, I, I think that kind of has a different focus. So I don't believe we can do anything, let's say, politically, or we can do anything um, in our might, if you will, to 
make make the tribulation wait longer. I I don't think that's that's part of our in our DNA, if you will, as as humans. I do think that there are um, prophecies that are in place that are going to indicate as they are fulfilled will bring about the tribulation. So, for example, when when the Jews uh, came back to Israel back in 1947, actually they came back before that even, but when they established their country and then the the UN you know, declared them a nation in, in uh, May of 1948, um, that set off a whole different you know, entourage of prophecies. And now we're getting to a point where the tribulation is, is at hand, I think. The end time, we're in the end times. It just looks like it is because of the way it is. Now, I don't think we can extend that. And I don't think Russia, and this is actually coming from Russia, I don't think Russia has anything to do with the fact that the tribulation is going to come earlier or later. Because I know there's people who think that if we, you know, hold off Russia and China and, and there are all this stuff going on, that maybe the tribulation will come till later on. And that's just not reality. It's not the the Bible is not fixed on our political agenda. And there's a lot of people that think, especially Americans, which but a lot of people think that if we, you know, work our political agenda right, that the tribulation will, will be extended. Or, you know. Well, my belief is that there's not a specific length of time. It's an order of events. And so we can uh-huh. guess on the length of time and based on the order of events as we've seen them already happen and what's yet to come. But again, in the Bible, it does say, you know, no one knows the exact date or time. So to say that mankind can have any effect on the timeline, I don't think that is possible. Well, when I said yes and no in the beginning, what I meant by that, we do things that trigger some of the prophecies. So, for example, um, if it wasn't for, and this may sound really bad, but it really isn't. I, I don't mean it this way to be bad, but I think if it wasn't for during World War II and um, the killing of all the Jews, when Hitler was killing all the Jews, if it wasn't for that, Israel might not have opened up for the Jews to go back to live and and establish their country. So, in a sense, because of something that was done that was terrible, you know, a lot of the world would say, you know what, give them their country, let them go back home, let them establish what they, where they're at. And so um, they let them have this area, and that was a prophecy that was given back 3,000 years ago. So here we are with this prophecy, now it's true. If that wouldn't have happened, they probably wouldn't have had the same result. But we don't know if the events that happened according to God's plan, was supposed to happen at that time. Well, so that, so we can just speculate all we want. We aren't going to know for sure. But I don't think time, God has a time set or not set for these prophecies to happen. These are prophecies, 
I think, that are just going to unfold as we do our stupid things or we do our wonderful things. I mean, as we do life, you know, um, things will will happen because of of what we do. But I don't think it's we can make the arrangements and plans and say, well, let's go ahead and organize our political agenda worldwide so the tribulation won't come until 2030. That's that's ridiculous, and that's that's taking your politics and mixing them in with scripture, and that's just not the way the Bible works. It probably doesn't help to try and speculate because there's no clear answer. Yeah. And the next question that we have is from Moldova, and this is switching gears. Uh, the question is asking, what do you believe about creation? Did God create everything in six normal days, which I presume they're referring to 24-hour days? And I know there's a lot of different beliefs with regard to that, and I'm sure everyone would be interested in your opinion. <laughs> Especially since I'm not normal. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, I would think that if they're saying regular days are probably thinking 24-hour days. I think you're right. So um, I believe that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, number one. Number two, I believe that the story of creation, the reason for the story of creation is to identify that God is the creator of all things. That, that I think, is really important. So to establish my foundation, that is it. Now, as far as the six days, uh, so do I believe in this creation? Uh, God created every day. No, okay, normal days. As far as the days, I, um, we need to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and look at the Hebrew writing. In the Hebrew writing, when it says that, you know, God did this on the first day, you know, and the day and second day and so forth, the word day is yom, Y-O-M, yom, okay? That word has at least three different meanings, okay? It has the meaning of a day as in daylight during the day. So when the day opens up with the sun up and the sun down, that's a day. That's not 24 hours. That could be 16 hours, could be 12 hours, could be 10 hours, depending on where you live. could be two hours. So that's that's the day, daylight, so forth. Another is your 24 hours, okay, from 6 a.m. to 6 a.m. or so forth. So that's, a, that's the other meaning that the word has. The third meaning is um, day as in a period of time. It could be a long period of time, but it's a period of time. So when I look at creation, I I know it through my study, I've identified that the fourth day of creation is when God actually created the 24-hour day. Okay, So if you go to your scriptures and you read on the fourth day, you'll see how God created that day with the sun and the moon and so forth, and you have that separation. The the thing that I tend to think about in looking at creation, especially when I, I look at other scholars, there is a scholar that I really like. His name is Walter Kaiser Jr. 
and he's probably the most renowned Hebrew scholar in our in our day and age. Okay, um, and he believes that it's a long period of time that you know the first day was eons long, second day, so forth. And something that that I heard somebody say once, and something that I I looked at is on the sixth day, God created, you know, the animals and all that, so forth, and he created man, Adam. God told man on the sixth day to uh, work in the garden. He told him to name all the animals, okay? And... um, so naming all the animals, he had to, if, it, if you're thinking it's a 24-hour day, it'd be pretty hard to name thousands of animals in 24 hours. Well, think about it. You probably have to sleep. Okay. And then somewhere during that period of, of the day, I'm sure while he wasn't naming the animals, he got lonely. I don't know how many of you are out there, but on a regular normal day, if you're working and you stop work, in a matter of a few hours, do you get how, how many of you get lonely? And so God decided to create a woman. Okay, so he put him asleep, takes a rib out, creates the woman, and here or this is supposed to be the sixth day. Okay, and then he then all this happens in the garden, and then they're out. So basically, I find this kind of hard in a twenty-four hour period of day, not from what God's standpoint, but from mankind's standpoint. So personally, I think we were uh, created, and I think it's a long period of time. It doesn't take away from science when science says, well, you know, we had things of the ocean and then animals here and then plants and so forth and so on. The Bible orchestrates that the same exact way. So it fits scientifically perfect. It's just the difference is whether it's a long period or if it's 24 hours. To me... Whether I'm right or wrong, whether I think it's a you know a long period of time or 24 hours, I think it's insignificant. What's important, I think, go back to the beginning of what I first said, is that God is the creator. Mm-hmm. That's the thing we need to recognize. I think it's totally, absolutely foolish and asinine to argue about whether it's 24 hours or or a long period of time, and for one side to call the other side a heretic because they don't believe the same way they do. The whole idea is God is the creator, and that's what we need to look at is God is the creator, period. So I used to believe it was 24 hours. I now tend to think that it's a long period of time, but I truly believe that God is the creator of all, and that is my bottom foundation. Well, my take on it is basically the same as yours. I think a lot of the concepts that God wants us to understand in the Bible, he puts in a way that we can understand, but it's not contradictory to science. And in reasons to believe, the scientists, you know, in that group find that all the scientific knowledge they have matches with the Bible. There's not a contradiction. The order of events in creation, you know, are about the same. And so it really does support the period of time as opposed to specific 24-hour days. And like you said, 
that is not the most important part. The most important part is that God is the creator. This is how he did his creation. And he wants us to understand that, how everything came to be. And I think fighting over the details or, you know, what's more accurate or not is not important. Yeah, to me, it's like, you know, so this is a, a an age-old argument that nobody's really able to come down and say, aha, I know because God told me, you know, this, you know, God's coming down and telling everybody. It doesn't happen that way. So what's the point of arguing about something that we really can't pinpoint exactly, especially when the the Hebrew word lends itself to different meanings right you know that's that's where you have to say okay well then what is really the important thing here is it is it the time frame we're looking at or is it the creator yeah the creator and the miracle of creation yeah it, it, and people get hung up on the details that don't matter rather than the message is trying to be taught yeah in the scriptures so um, I think people can get too hung up on trying to make sure that their version of interpretation is correct. And because theirs is correct, other people's interpretations have to be wrong. I think God wanted us to have an understanding of his word that he was putting in the scriptures and not to argue about the little details because that isn't the main part of the message. Well, I'm sure you're glad on the same, you're, I'm glad you're on the same page as me because now I can sleep at night. Well, I have a good teacher. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, the next question uh, we have is from Nigeria. And this person asks, during the resurrection, but not the rapture, who will be resurrected and for what reason? Oh. A lot of people have similar questions. They all want to know about these end times. Well, the end times is because it's unknown. And, right. and, and one of the problems with end times teachings are that you have different teachers', teachers teachings, and they're trying to make a point using Scripture. Unfortunately, some of these teachings are twisting Scripture to fit their narrative. Or they're, they want to bring out something new, big and you know fancy, so they can make more money. Or whatever it might be, and I think that's what's what's terrible. Um, now, this is a really interesting question. It, it's uh, not an easy one to answer, I don't think. And and here's why: uh, first off, when we the resurrection and the rapture, I believe are, are two different things. So, um, the rapture may or may not be something real scripturally. Um, I think it is. I definitely don't believe it's something that's going to happen before the tribulation. There's no real pinpointed scripture that, that says it will. Um, however, when we talk about the rapture, we're talking about those who are believers, you know, being caught up. Okay, as it says in Thessalonians, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Um, however, the resurrection, the resurrection is, is something that's been taught from the Old Testament all the way through. It is just something that's, you know, the entire Bible teaches the resurrection. What it teaches is that everyone, everyone will uh, be resurrected and stand before God uh, for judgment. So let me, let me explain that. 
in the Old Testament, everyone dies and everyone goes to, to Hades, which is the grave, okay? They don't go to hell right away. They don't go to heaven right away. That's, that's a teaching that's a mankind, man-made-up teaching. So they go to the grave. Those who are righteous, that's probably the best word scripturally I can say, those who are righteous uh, who die go to a place called paradise. This is taught... Uh, not only in the Old Testament, old in rabbi times, uh, during Daniel's time, there's, uh, in the uh, Talmud and things like that. But even Jesus brought that up in a um, parable he taught that there was two guys, a rich man and a poor guy, died and one went into the bosom of Abraham. He went to paradise. And in the bosom of Abraham is where you would end up if you were righteous because what the teaching is that, is that you are... Uh, protected until the resurrection, where those who are not, like in the parable, the guy goes and he's suffering, and he wants the guy in, you know, in the bosom of Abraham to give him a water, you know, and so um, that doesn't mean that that parable is actual fact. It doesn't mean that people in hell or in the grave can talk to people in paradise. That that doesn't mean that at all. So what we have here is somebody who's who's in uh, the grave waiting for their resurrection and most likely will be separated into a group we call goats and sheep. He'll probably be with the goats. Well, those who are in the bosom of Abraham, they're in paradise, will go and they'll be separated in with the sheep. And judgment will be with everyone. Now, the scripture says that everyone will stand before him. Why I said earlier this is kind of a hard thing is because in John chapter 3, it talks about uh, people who are, are saved are, are already been judged. So they don't, won't be judged. But then the scriptures also say that all people will stand before God. So, and it says that people will be there and separated between the goats and the sheep. So I don't know how all that works. I don't believe there's a scholar in the history of the world who can tell you how all that works. Because uh, I've done extensive research to find out how is this really it because of the differences. God knows this. Just like, you know, we were doing a parable. I was teaching a parable about uh, the wheat and the weeds and how... Um, the angels are the ones that separate all of this. And so it's kind of interesting how this all works. Um, but we need to understand that the, the rapture is a New Testament teaching. It doesn't have a lot of scripture to it. A lot of people don't believe in it. A lot of people want to believe what they want to believe. It's okay. But the resurrection is a real thing. Everyone is going to be resurrected I truly believe everyone will stand before God. Now, I didn't think that in the past, but because the scripture says everyone, that could mean everyone who's uh, not saved. You know, I don't think that's true because it's everyone. So I think the resurrection is very important that we understand that. We will be resurrected. All people will be resurrected. Those who are in paradise will be resurrected because it says they'll be resurrected. They're protected in the bosom of Abraham and be resurrected, and they'll have eternity with God after that. Those who don't go to paradise will be judged in their sin, and that's going to be their, you know, their outcome is going to be one, one place or the other. So hopefully that answers the question, but it's not an easy question, uh, answer.
There are a lot of complicated questions from our yeah, viewers <laughs> today. But let's go to something a little simpler. Okay. <laughs> um, this is a question from the United States. Is it a sin to be sick or poor? And that's a simpler question. Well, <laughs> it has less moving parts. No, it's not a sin. I, I know there's a whole group out there that think that if you're sick, it's a sin because you have uh, the Holy Spirit and Jesus on your side to claim and, and order him and command him to heal you and so remain healed and so that you're never sick and and you can claim you know riches you can claim prosperity and he's supposed to give it to you because we have that quote-unquote right and i think that's so terrible and, and the way that scripture is twisted is is really terrible you know paul talks about to timothy about taking something for his stomach because he had something wrong with his stomach or whatever, to, for healing. Paul also had a thorn in his, his side and asked for healing. So are we saying that Paul was a sinner? Was he in, in sin because of No. Did he claim, God, okay, give it and make it better. I'm demanding, I'm commanding you. No. He asked and prayed for it. So I think when we decide that we're going to command it, I think we have a ser serious problem in our humility as a believer and a servant of, of God. Well, when the person's asking, is it a sin to be sick or poor? I think your take on it, how a lot of uh, people believe, you know, in the name it and claim it. If you're sick, there's some unresolved sin in your life and therefore your health problems are your fault because of this sin that you haven't addressed or if you're poor you haven't claimed what God has promised you so I think it's a misinterpretation of the scriptures because God God never promised you know prosperity or health uh, the rain falls on the just and the unjust so um those circumstances aren't a result necessarily of sin in your life. It might be, as far as if you're poor or not, it might be your circumstances where you have no control or you've made bad decisions, but it's not necessarily sin. There was a movement, I don't know, it was 10 or more years ago, 12, 13 more years ago, uh, Jabez, the prayer, prayer of Jabez. Jabez. I remember And that. he asked... For uh, that God would give him more prosperity, give him, you know, more, extend his, you know, land and so forth. And so God did it. But what what people miss in the in the teaching of this is that the Bible says he was righteous mm -hmm. and he asked for it. Just like when Hezekiah and Isaiah told Hezekiah, you're going to die in, in, in the week in the week's end, you need to get your house in order. And so Hezekiah turned to God and said, hey, I've been, I've followed you. I've done everything. I've been righteous to you. And I think that has a, a huge amount of stuff here. I know people who have businesses and, and, and want God to bless them and make them more prosperous, but they're not following everything they need to follow mm -hmm. as a believer. And so it's like, why do you think God's going to bless you with all this when you can't even be righteous in your own walk? 
So I think there's a lot there that's it's on. I think that when Jesus says the poor are going to be with us for always, you know, we can't take away from that and just think, well, therefore, they're all going to be sinners. You know, Jesus spoke to the poor. He preached to the poor. He came from a town of poor people and, and in that whole area. And I think that it's important that we understand it's not a sin to be poor. It's not a sin to be unhealthy or be sick. You know, how do we live our life? How do we honor him? How do we, we trust in him in our life to become more like him in health, in sickness, in richness or poorness? It doesn't matter where you're standing is. What matters is where is your heart and how are you living for him? Right. And there's plenty of examples of healthy and rich people who are pretty obviously sinners. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think that's a good answer uh, to this question. And we have a few minutes left. Uh, this question is from Asia. Uh, the person says, I live in a country where multiple wives are legal and common. I have three wives and I recently became a Christian believer. Do I need to divorce two of my wives? <laughs> good question. That is a really good question. Um, there are many countries. I don't know if many is a good, but there, there are many countries where it is legal to have more than one wife. Whether you're in the Middle East, whether you're in Africa, whether you're in uh, is it East Asia, some of those areas, or the Indonesia area, I think there you can have multiple wives. Um, some of them, some countries you can have multiple wives depending on what religion you are. Some religions you can't based on not the religion itself, but the country tells you. It's kind of interesting. So, um, first off, the Bible says that God hates divorce. So, right off the bat, I'm going to tell you it is wrong to divorce your wives. Period. I, I don't think there's any any more discussion on that that situation however having more than one wife because i live in the united states and it is illegal to have more than one wife it's illegal to have more than one wife in the united states okay if if you lived in egypt or you lived you know in iran or or some other some other country that allows more than one wife you know then it's not illegal the bible if you go back in the Old Testament and you see these people that had multiple wives, the most famous is Solomon. Okay, Now, it wasn't illegal for Solomon to have multiple wives. What was wrong for Solomon to have more than one wife was to marry wives who weren't Jews, who did not follow the same belief system. And he married a multitude of women who were not of the same faith. And God told him not to do it, and he did it anyway. And then it, what what made the problem even worse is he started allowing them to worship their own gods in the temple. That was a no-no. And then what capped it, the icing on the cake, Solomon himself went into the temple and started worshiping those gods of his, those wives. And God got angry and said, hey, that's it. Your, your king, your line as king is going to end because of this. So it wasn't having the multiple wives that were wrong, it was having, it was marrying those who were non-believers. Right. 
So, and there are others. David had multiple wives. He had several wives, you know, some say eight, some say 16. I don't know. Uh, so you have on and on. And, and it said that David was a man after God's own heart. So what do you have here? You have a person that God uh, admired is going to, is going to actually ad, um, build up in the millennium. Okay. And that he had multiple wives. So I think that when we go to the New Testament and Paul tells Timothy that a pastor should be somebody who only has one wife and a deacon, somebody only one of, of one wife, you know, that's not saying that it's, it's wrong to have multiple wives. It says you shouldn't be a pastor with more than one wife. Um, so it depends on where you live, whether it's right or wrong. But in your case, in where you live, it, it is not wrong to have more than one wife because it's legal in your country. However, I would say it's biblically wrong to divorce one or both two wives of your wives to have just one. That is not that does not solve the problem morally, scriptural or scripturally. Okay. I don't know if we have time for another question. It's been so long it is. <laughs> okay. I don't know if this is going to be too long. Um, this is from Ukraine. How does the Book of Mormon and the Bible work together? Oh, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe elaborate a little about the Book of Mormon and why it doesn't work with the Bible. Okay. So the Bible... <clears throat> The Bible is a writing that took 24, 2,500 years to write with 40 different authors. It's a writing of, of God, of, of his works and his working with a group of people to teach them how to follow him and instruct them how to become like him and honor him and honor one another and live in a way. It has all kinds of stories and which in these stories and prophecies and Cities that were mentioned in in the Bible have all been they're proven that they're they're really the cities were really there the prophecies have really come true they've proven it the Book of Mormon is a book about written by one man of course he got these tablets and he by himself interpreted these tablets um, and he wrote this book and in the book it gives you all this history. That is not substantiated. So the what they teach is that a bunch of Jews came over who were uh, unsatisfied with the way things were in, in Israel, came over to the Americas, and then um, they lived here, and there were two brothers, and they, they uh, separated and they fought, and one whole family killed off the other, and so we have what we call the American Indian throughout. But you have these great big empires in the Book of Mormon that existed and fought and had battles. And you go to these centralized areas where these these um, empires were, and all these archaeologists have never found anything there. I mean, they say there were horses. Well, actually, there weren't horses really here in America's, you know, at that time, but they say there were tools that were not really appropriate but they they never found these tools or swords you know all kinds of um archaeological evidence yeah, well yeah that's what i'm getting at but none of this was where there, were, there weren't any bones people's bones there weren't any pottery there was absolutely nothing there on several of these sites they have not found them 
And so it's not substantiated. It's, it's, it's like it's false. It's not real. And so they don't go together because one does not support the other. One was written opposed to the other, and it's just not um, – it doesn't fit. One – actually, it's, it's contradictory to the Bible, the Book of Mormon. And they're, they're saying that it replaces it. So even in their mind, it doesn't fit well together. But the Bible and the Book of Mormon are totally opposite in, in how they see each other, in the belief system. You can prove things in the Bible like archaeolo- in archaeological terms, but you cannot in the Mormon terms. And there's only one spot in, in, uh, from the Book of Mormon that they've not uh, done any archaeological findings, and that's up in New York because the Mormon church won't let them. Everywhere else they've looked, they've searched, and they've found nothing. That's very interesting. So that would be another topic for another day. Yeah. And I think you're out of time. I'm out of time. So thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the questions and the answers. If you have any questions, please write me and and, uh, I will respond. Um, I enjoy your questions that you've written. And everyone, you all have a wonderful day. You have a wonderful week. Aloha. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.